Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cott Jr. Ron, how's it going today? Going good. It's it's definitely the boring time of the off season. I am ready for training camp. It's only a month away now. We're getting close. We're getting close. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely ready for for some more action. Kind of tired of the slow news days. Well, speaking of slow news days, this is the time of of the year where there's not much going on where it's really up to us to speculate and to make ridiculous lists and to make superlatives that really mean nothing once the season actually starts. So that's what we're going to do today on the Out of Structure podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about some some wild, some really reasonable chief superlatives, and we'll see if we can get some unique takes on some uh, interesting questions. Ron, I'm going to start with you and say – who is the offensive lineman on the Chiefs most likely to score an offensive touchdown? Well, we saw Eric Fisher last year. He, he scored his touchdown off the team now. So he's, he was the obvious answer if he was still on the team. If you're following me on Twitter, you probably saw a tweet I posted on Tuesday morning about our guy Mike Remmers going out for a pass route last year against the Carolina Panthers. I honestly don't remember this play at all. I was just looking through film for some quarterback runs. And I happened to notice, wait, is that Mike Remmers out on a route right now? Actually drew a defensive holding penalty because uh, the linebacker tackled him as he was running. But, uh, yeah, so so Remmers got to be the answer. It's funny because I, I saw other people on Twitter reply and mention that he apparently got injured a little before that as well uh, in the game. So Remmers on the sideline, probably hurting a little bit. Andy looks at him like, hey, we need, you know, we want to run this play where I'm passing to you. You know, Remmers didn't hesitate, grabs his helmet, runs on the field. You know, he, he's not missing his opportunity to get a catch. Didn't get it, but he still earned the offensive first down. I think Andy's going to see that, remember that, be like, hey, I, I need to get him in the end zone, get him a, a touchdown catch. So I think the answer is Mike Remmers. Wait a second. You're telling me that last year this Super Bowl c- competitive team not only targeted Mike Remmers in the past game, but they targeted injured Mike Rummers in the past game. <laughs> what Rummers is like what, 30 years old too. It's not like he's a, a spring chicken either. Yeah. So their okay. oldest and and not their most athletic offensive lineman not only got a target, but he got a target while fighting through an injury. And he uh, drew, he drew a penalty through very tight coverage on the, from a linebacker. Yeah. Check it out on my Twitter account if you haven't seen it. It's actually hilarious. Uh, he flails his arms. He sells it and everything. It's good. But I will say, uh, you know, when you're talking about this subject, it's, it really is only offensive tackles, I feel like. I mean, we haven't seen a guard go out for a pass. I guess we haven't seen a lot of offensive linemen go out for passes <laughs> in the Andy Reid era. But he's targeted Fisher and Remmer so far. So 
that hey, means it's really the tackles that that are up for the you know for the answer. You know, back in my flag football intramural days at the University of Missouri, um, there was a play where we would run the center right straight down the field and and throw a pass to him. So maybe they figure out a way to get Creed Humphrey in the end zone, come up with some real creative way of, of, of titling that one. If anyone's going to do it, it's Andy for sure. <laughs> All right. Here's another one. Uh, who's the defensive player most likely to get in on offense? I think there's an easy answer here, right? He's been, he's been vouching for it. He's playing defensive end. Now he got his wish there. And so Chris Jones, I think he was a high school quarterback too. Um, he, he would be the answer here, I would say. But I wanted to give another guy a shout-out, and I'm sure you have maybe more on Jones, but I, I just wanted to say Derek Naughty, I feel like, should get some fullback reps or something. You know, the, the old Don Terry Poe at fullback. Just hand it off to him. Who's stopping him from getting a yard going forward, especially if he's going behind the, the big lining we got now? So I think Naughty should get a chance. Yeah, I can see that. I could also see Chris Jones lobbying to be quarterback at least for one play on the goal line. You know – the most versatile player on the team, I bet he could play offense if he wanted to. The the honey badger, Tyron Matthew, get him in at receiver, give him an end around or something. Uh, who's going to stop him? Yeah, that is true. And Tyron was the guy in college. He was a kick returner, too, and everything. Um, you kind of just forget that he was ever like that. He used to be unstoppable with the ball in his hands. So I know he's older now, but, hey, come on. Get him, get him, get him a screen pass or something. Why not? Come on, Andy. Yeah. Creative for once. <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> Especially if he's about to be signed long term, you know, you, you got him. You got him for a while. Just you got to test how his offensive skills sometime, right? All right. Uh, well, who's most likely on this team to get cut at least three times this season? The the CJ the CJ Spiller special. I went with Marcus Kemp on this one. I don't even know if he's going to make the official fifty three man or the initial. I should say uh, he probably won't. He's the seventh receiver. I predicted it earlier in the off season, but they're not going to keep seven receivers. I can't imagine. So I'd say Kemp, just because I feel like he's going to be on the practice squad then maybe, you know, on another team and all of a sudden we bring him back when he gets cut by that team. And then by the end of the season, he's back on the active roster. You know, maybe not as frequent as CJ Spiller. That was a pretty special case. But, uh, yeah, I think Kemp's the best candidate for this one. You know, Kemp has, has been part of a lot of Chiefs transactions already. A lot, it seems like. So so that's a, that's a pretty obvious answer. I think that makes some sense. Maybe Jarek McKinnon ends up being the new CJ Spiller as that extra veteran running back that they feel like they need, but sometimes they don't. Uh, I'm not sure that they'll cut him and re-sign him and cut him and re-sign him. That, that's probably not going to happen, but you could see somebody else from the running back room being an option. Yeah, I, I was going to say maybe Darwin, but at the same time, I think if the team cuts Darwin, I, I really feel like he'll get picked up. Another team will really want to try to test him out, his skill set. I think he's shown enough to where he can't just be stashed on the practice squad, um, but he definitely could be a candidate too. All right. Who's the most likely to take a big step forward in their career this year? So this was an interesting one. I feel like there's a lot of candidates, obviously. Um, but I'm going to go with Juan Thornhill, because when you say most likely, I think that's the key words here. You know, not who you hope for, not who it would be the biggest advantage for the Chiefs if they took a step forward. The most likely we've seen Juan Thornhill already play at a very elite level. I mean, honestly, his rookie year, he was one of the best young safeties in the league before he got hurt. And we kind of saw it coming back last year towards the end of the year, AFC Championship specifically. He was really good. He was all over the place. He was, I think, at four pass breakups, which is a lot for a safety. So I think Juan Thornhill, we could definitely, now that he's fully removed from that injury, a year removed away from that, 
I think we could really see him take that step and become a guy that we're thinking about extending next offseason. I'll throw in a sleeper at this uh, question. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say McCole Hardman is most go. likely to take a big step because he obviously is someone who we all hope takes a big step, and he's someone who most people would believe needs to take a big step uh, to get to where he should be at this point. But it sure seems like he's got the right attitude, that he's focused, and he does have some really unique ability on the football field. And with Sammy Watkins out of the way, he may have more opportunities to shine. Again, don't get me into the wide receiver two, wide receiver three, whatever debate. That doesn't matter. The fact is there are snaps and targets available, and Hardman should be the most likely guy to scoop some of those up and make a big jump in production. Yeah, it's the opportunity, right? Like you said, it, it, he has the most likely chance to have the biggest opportunity. I mean, Thornhill is going to be a starter, obviously, too, but Storenson's still there. You know, he could take some snaps from Thornhill maybe. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I think Nicole's a good answer. Who is the most likely to disappoint Chiefs fans this year? Man, this is tough, too, because I don't I don't want to say who I put down and make anyone think I'm not, I'm not high on him, but when we talk about most likely to make you feel disappointed this year, it's got to be Willie Gay, right? Because we're we're all kind of getting hyped for him. Everyone's kind of talking him up in OTAs and minicamp now. But we at the same time, what if we get to the season and he's not even playing that much? You know, he's not playing. You know, Neiman's still taking those snaps that we've kind of already said that Gay should be taking the snaps for him. And and maybe he's just not making as as many as big of a contribution as we're kind of hoping from the second year second round linebacker so I say most likely you know I don't want to see him disappoint obviously but the most likely one I feel like would be gay I'm gonna go with another guy at a similar position and the Chiefs first draft pick this year Nick Bolton okay I just am not seeing a really clear path for him to get on the field with a significant chance to make an impact I think Willie Gay is going to take that step so I I I'm optimistic that he's not going to be the one to disappoint us. I just think we may not see enough of Nick Bolton this year to get excited. Yeah, but, you know, and to counter your point, though, I, I think how how much how much anticipation are we do we have for Nick Bolton? You know, like, are we are we expecting the big things from him anyway? So if he doesn't play, are we really disappointed or is it just kind of, you know, hey, we know he's not going to play that much this year. We'll see him in 2022, that kind of thing. That's why I say gay, just because there is getting that hype where we're all expecting him to all of a sudden become, you know, one of the best linebackers on the team. And if he's not that, then there's going to be a lot of disappointment. That's fair. I just think expectations are always high with the early round draft picks. And you want to see early impacts from them. You want to see why they felt the need to use a, a top, you know, top 60 draft pick on a guy. I, I think I think we're going to have to wait. And I think that's going to be disappointing to a lot of people. Yeah, I know what you mean. I also have McColl on this just because, you know, we all are – we're expecting big things from McColl for sure. I mean, that's there's no question about that. And if he doesn't take that step forward, even if he is pretty good this year but isn't, you know, a, a, a really good player, I think people will be disappointed. So I, I think McColl is a good answer for it too. You know, that, that brings us to the next superlative. Who is the most likely to get targeted or embarrassed by the opponent? Um we automatically think about corners when we say this, but it doesn't have to be a corner. Who do you got? Well, it's funny you say that because mine is a corner. Uh, you know, Traverius Ward's been a great player. He's been a, a, you know, for the Chiefs. You know, I wouldn't say in general, but 
He's, he's been perfect for his role, you know, being that outside corner, that steady presence. But we saw it last year against the Raiders at home. He got burnt a few times like, like burnt toast, and it was not good. And he's not the type to really do well against faster receivers. And, and the Chiefs are going to be facing some, some fast dudes this year for sure. And, so, and like a Henry Ruggs was the guy who really burned – and Aguilar. I think both of them got him last year. So, yeah, uh, Ward is, is, is my pick for this. Who do you have? All the Ward slander, I don't like it. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the guys who are always targeted and embarrassed. Um, and I'm gonna give you two of them here, Stryle on the fence. But it's Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman. Those are the two guys <laughs> that when they're on the field, offenses throw their way, right? Like it's like, oh, that it's just it's just an automatic check, right? Whatever's going on on the field, you're like, oh, I see 56. I'm throwing that way. Yeah, Sorensen's been targeted quite a bit in coverage over the over his career. Uh, I clearly remember Darren Waller giving him the business last year a few times in, in one-on-one coverage. So, yeah, I actually had Nima as my other choice, but I figured I I think Ward. I like my answer with Ward there, but yeah, I, I think you I think you had some good picks there too for sure. In, in a related question, who's the most likely chief that will make fans throw stuff at the TV in frustration? <laughs> So I'm, am I cheating here if I say Andy Reid? I, I think Andy is is the easy answer for this, right? I, we all do it. We all are like, what are you doing, Andy? What is that play call on third and five? What are we, you know, it happens every time. And and most of the time he makes us look stupid for, you know, because eventually these, these trick plays that sometimes don't work, they do work, and then he looks really smart doing them. But I definitely think, you know, it, it's every once in a while he, he runs, you know, hey, for example, Sammy Watkins gets – the ball tries to throw it to Mahomes 40 yards downfield or whatever. Well, it wasn't that far, but just a bomb to Mahomes in coverage. Like that's one of those where you're going to be throwing stuff at your TV. Maybe we'll see a little bit less of that with a less reliance upon the trick plays with, with a better offensive line. The more the, the more he has the ability to just run the ball right at somebody, get the first down, score a touchdown. Maybe they can back off on the ridiculousness a little bit here and there. But yeah, fans will always find something to be upset with Andy Reid about, whether it's clock management, personnel management, play calling. Like there's going to be something. Taking his foot off the gas, right? That's that's the narrative. Yeah, that, that's probably a pretty safe answer. I'm going to go with another safe answer, which is Demarcus Robinson. <laughs> yeah. uh, over, the, over the last couple of years, you know, it's just it's just bound to happen. He's going to be in the wrong place. He's going to drop a pass he should have caught. You know, so, something's going to go. He's going to fumble. He's going to run backwards on a punt return. Like something weird's going to happen when Demarcus Robinson is in the game, uh, and especially now that he may see even more snaps. Yeah, he was my other answer player-wise. Uh, we all recall. I mean, I, I, we may not recall. We might have buried it in our memories now. But last year, at the end of the first half against the Saints. For whatever reason, he starts running backwards into the end zone and then fumbles it out of the end zone. Yeah, that's that Robinson's an easy answer for that one. Well, that was a bold strategy by Robinson. I'm not sure, <laughs> yeah, not sure okay. how that worked out for him. Luckily, All right, um, it didn't cost the game. Luckily, it did not cost them a win, but it definitely could have. It was a tight game. Who's the most likely to pull an Eric Fisher as well, right? And score a touchdown and chug a beer in the end zone with the fans or some other ridiculous celebration? So how have has Travis Kelsey not done this yet? How have we not seen Kelsey score a touchdown, go into the stands, grab someone's beer, and just – I mean, this is the guy. I mean, it's it's almost like it's surprising. It's very surprising that it hasn't happened yet. I, I'm surprised Fisher beat him to the to the punch a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I 
I can see that happening soon. Kelsey's got all these dance moves, but he's got to he's got to bring something else out for a touchdown celebration sometimes. So I bet that's the next one. You know, Kelsey certainly has the celebrations and the moves. I was listening to our friends on the Great British Chiefs show. If you haven't done so, make sure you do it. This week, they talked a little bit about Travis Kelsey, and they called him a lightweight. They said he can't handle his beer very well, and wow. that uh, uh, that every time you see him, he's he's a, a in British terminology, pissed, which means drunk in, in American. <laughs> um, so I, I thought that was ironic that they were they were questioning his uh, uh, his ability to drink large quantities of beer when Travis Kelsey, I'm pretty sure, drinks large quantities of beer. But I, I just think it's the uh, the they were making fun of the fact that it was Bud Light, which is not a real beer to uh, British folk. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I do. I do recall what you're talking about now. They were talking about tight end you and how. In the videos behind Greg Olson trying to talk, he was just being belligerent a little bit. He didn't look that hammered to me, but <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I'm sure I he see, was feeling pretty good. I could see Kelsey being the one to chug a beer for sure. I could see who the other big trash talkers and and guys who who could put on a big celebration. Somebody else who's due for a touchdown. I already brought him up on the offensive side. If Tyron Matthew gets a score this year, he's going to let people know about it. And and that's gonna set that's gonna rub somebody the wrong way. So I'm gonna take Matthew probably to get flagged for taunting more so than chugging a beer in the end zone. But I I think I think he's gonna let them know if and when he scores, and it's gonna be glorious. Yeah, I mean the the easy answer for the flag for taunting is Tyreek. I think just because I mean the peace sign, and I mean that's that's pretty standard right now. He's had some pretty epic celebrations. He's got the the jumping in the stands and taking over the camera. Yes. the peace sign he's done he's done a few things there yeah the next step is chugging a beer again i don't i couldn't see tyree chugging a beer though honestly probably probably not <laughs> all right um who is the player most likely to make a big play and have every fan getting on the old googler trying to figure out who he was because they didn't recognize the jersey number I went with Jerk mckinnon here i think we're gonna kind of forget about him because we're all excited about clyde and then we know daryl and then all of a sudden, we're going to have a third down screen pass go for 30 yards. And everyone's going to be like, wait, was that Clyde? Oh, that wasn't Clyde. That was, wait, who is that? And then, yeah, so we're going to kind of forget about McKinnon a little bit. You know, and, and this is me projecting McKinnon making the team. I know people think maybe Darwin would, would make it over him as well. But I think we know Darwin. I think Jarek's just would be a little like, oh, wait, who is that? Yeah, I'm going to go with Will Parks. Um, there we go. The defensive secondary. He could be playing all over the place a little bit. He's probably not going to have a big role, so you're not going to know him. He's not going to be a household name, but when he makes the play, you're going to, you're going to wonder who that who was that guy. Yeah, and and he's number twenty, and like the Chiefs haven't had a like a solid number twenty in a while. I feel like like Hamilton was it last year, so it's not going to be one of those numbers you recognize. You're just going to be like, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. You're going to be like, who who is that? Who is the most likely? To get to have a highlight reel from Patrick, a highlight reel pass from Patrick Mahomes bounce off their face and just blow it. Who's the most likely to waste an epic moment from Mahomes? Well, you named the main guy I think earlier when we're talking about uh, you know uh, Demarcus Robinson. Uh, I don't remember exactly why we were talking about him. Uh, oh yeah, make stuff, make people throw stuff at their TV. Yes. So this is kind of the same same kind of question, but. Just because we've seen him do it before as well, I, I said Daryl. You know, I don't want to rag on Daryl uh, for the Super Bowl drop, but that was pretty embarrassing for it to go right right off his face mask. Oh, man, that one hurt. Well, 
on that note, let, let's get right to one more, one more superlative, then we'll go to break. Let's make this one a little bit more positive, at least on the Chiefs' side. Who's the offensive lineman most likely to quote unquote Eric Fisher versus JJ Watt somebody? So if you remember, there's an epic highlight of Eric Fisher taking JJ Watt and just driving him into the turf. Yes, Watt was injured at the time, but don't let that take away from the fact that he the disrespect shown to that man by Eric Fisher is something we we remember for a long time. Who's going to do that this year? Yeah, that was a great memory. And I kind of went deeper on this because when you think about Fisher, when he did that, he wasn't a solidified player yet. You know, it was his third year in the league. He actually didn't start 2015 that season off. He didn't start as a starter. He was actually benched at the beginning of the year. Kind of had to make his way back. And that was kind of a, a big moment for him kind of coming out party like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a player here. I'm going to be a good uh, a good blocker for us here. So that's why I said Lucas Niang. Maybe Lucas Niang gets – and we've kind of heard Niang had a, a, a really good game against Chase Young in college. It's kind of his calling card right now uh, whenever people start talking about Niang. So maybe, you know, he, he we do play Washington this year, so maybe he has his chance against Chase Young. Uh, so, yeah, maybe he, he gets a, a good edge rusher and kind of dominates him for a rep because he's this big dude and – and we get that that still shot, just like the Fisher versus Watt. Well, that assumes a bunch of different things. One, that Lucas Niang actually starts yes. or plays. And and two, that he's able to physically dominate somebody. So that'll be interesting. It's, it's probably a little bit more of a long shot, but it's not a bad one. I, I guess I'll go with the more obvious choice in Orlando Brown Jr. Yeah, Just a massive human being. And he would love nothing more than to just absolutely take someone's soul. I think he said as much that that's what he loves about the offensive line position is just taking someone's will to compete and, and embarrassing them and, and, and putting them to the turf. So I think we'll see a couple of pancakes out of the big guy, even if he is wearing number 57. Uh, yeah. What a weird number, right? That's going to say it. So that's going to take me, take me a while to get used to, but. Hey, Chiefs do play Ravens week three. If, if there's any bad, bad blood uh, from Brown to the Ravens, that, that'll be the game to see that that moment happen. I guess. Who's the Ravens' big pass rusher that he's going to dominate this year? Well, they lost Judon, so I guess now they just have, like, Pius Bowser. And do we still have Pernell McPhee? McPhee? I know he was a decent player for him, but uh, They drafted a couple as well, if I remember correctly. So we'll yeah, see who the who who's on the receiving end of the domination, but we can – all hope collectively that Orlando Brown Jr. is on the giving end of said domination. With that, let's go ahead and take a break. Again, on the Out of Structure podcast, I'm Matt Stagner. This is Ron Kopp. We'll be back with you in just a few minutes. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more 
and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, guys and, and ladies, we're back on the on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network, the Outer Structure Podcast. Make sure you rate, review, five stars wherever you can. Listen to the other podcasts on the podcast network. We just got through with our superlatives. A lot of a lot of 2021 superlatives had some fun with that. But now, as always, we're going to get to your Twitter questions. And first, from a recurring questioner, Chief Smash Forever at Chief Smash 85 on Twitter. Besides the Chiefs, of course. Who would be each of your other teams you would root for to win it all or just have success? I feel like it would be nice to see the Jaguars finally out, uh, put it all together. That's what he said with Lawrence at the helm. He said his last name is Lawrence, so that's he kind of has some bias there. So, so that's why. But Matt, who, what kind of team, what or what team would you like to see succeed rather than the Chiefs? This is a tough one because it's certainly not going to be anybody in the AFC West. It's probably not going to be anybody else in the AFC, to be honest with you. So when I look at the NFC and I look at teams that have a long-suffering fan base that deserve a shot at some success, I'm going to go to the team that I have some firsthand knowledge of. Back in 2019, I went to the Chiefs road game at Detroit, and I wrote on Arrowhead Pride about my experience there. The fans were passionate. They were uh, realistic in the fact that they were excited to just have a close game and, and be in the same conversation as, as the Chiefs. But they had that old feeling of like, when things are going well, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for something to go wrong because it always does, whether it's injuries, whether it's you know a, a bad call or a close play that the ball doesn't bounce your way. That game had all of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty soundly outplayed at times during that game and play after play went the chiefs way in the most insane ways possible. So I'm sitting in the lion's season ticket holder section and just getting heckled nonstop when the lions are, are opening up a lead and they're, they're playing well on the, on defense and they're running the ball. They're doing everything right. And then Bashad Breland picks up a, a fumble at the goal line that nobody knew was actually a fumble. The Lions are all just standing there as Breland runs the other way for a touchdown that ends up being confirmed. There was another play that got called back in the end zone like two or three times. There was just play after play after play that just didn't go their way. So long story short, the Detroit Lions have not had a winner in an awful long time. They just traded away their franchise quarterback who – was great when healthy, but could never really get them over the hump. Now they have a different quarterback, different coach, something about kneecaps that keeps coming up every every time you talk about the Lions. But so I just hope for that fan base that were they were gracious hosts. They were fun. I had a great time at their game and their stadium, and they were super into it. They were three and zero at the time the Chiefs arrived. They lost their next eleven games after that Chiefs game, and so uh, they deserve some success. They've had a good draft. They got a, a steal of a left tackle and, and Penny Sewell. I, I think they've got a shot to be an improved team. I don't necessarily think the Super Bowl is in their near future, but hey, some success for the Lions would be would be a gift for that for that city and that team that that deserves it. 
thank you for reminding us all of that game because that was one of the crazier games i feel like i i remember i there was like four fumbles in one quarter in that game um yeah that was one of the crazier games and and the lions are a good pick for that but i'm gonna go in a similar vein actually staying in the same division i'm gonna say the chicago bears you kind of mentioned you know the fans not having a lot of success in a while Bears fans, I feel like, are in that a, a very similar vein as Chiefs fans. They didn't have to wait as long. You know, it's, it's only been since 1985. We had to wait since 1969. So they, they've had a little more recent success Super Bowl-wise. But when you're talking about quarterbacks, being in quarterback purgatory for as long as the Chiefs and Bears have, both have been in that purgatory for a long, long time. And Mahomes came in and, and turned us around and – and I'm kind of thinking Fields will do that, Justin Fields for them. They, they got a steal in him, in my opinion. I never understood really the the slander of him, um, how, why he went so much later than the other quarterbacks, why a guy like Trey Lance was picked at third, traded up for, and Fields fell all the way you know into the double digits. So I, I'm kind of rooting for Justin Fields. I just want to see him succeed, kind of prove the doubters wrong. I thought he was really good at Ohio State. In that game against Clemson, he was amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Chicago deserves – fields as their guy and so i do want to see them succeed for sure good pick good fan base very loyal fans there and somehow all the the discarded chiefs quarterbacks seem to end up in chicago with with Foles, with tyler bray with uh Chase Chase Daniel. Daniel. Yeah. I mean, they've had they they've had a rough go at it at the quarterback the quarterback position and so hopefully this solves it i don't know that their fans will ever live down trading up one spot to get Trubisky uh, over the other options in that draft. That That's going to be tough. you got to feel for them. Hopefully, this will be the year. They start the process of turning around. Well, speaking of other teams, Cameron Sieg on Twitter says, if you had to compare and choose one offensive line between the two, which offensive line got better, the Chiefs or the Chargers offensive line? A lot of people have talked about both of these offseason improvements. Which one improved more? This is a tough question because the Chargers offensive line got a lot better this offseason. They're just a good offensive line in general now. I know Beluga's, Belaga, I should say, has been there. He has been uh, on the Chargers uh, for the last two years. But when you talk about him combined with their first-round pick, Rashawn Slater, their new center, you know, the highest-paid center in the NFL, Corey Lindsley from the Packers, that's a good little trio right there. And when you compare it to the Chiefs trio in, the, in that sense, if we are assuming maybe that Niang starts at right tackle, you compare him to Slater. Slater's probably a better player. Orlando Brown is definitely a better player than Brian Balaga. That's for sure. Tooney and Lindsley don't play the same position, but at the same time, they're both probably the best at their position in the NFL, left guard and center. So they're kind of a wash right there. And then they have some, some decent uh, – they have some decent – compliments to them as well like filer and abushi were both starters for their teams last year they they came over in the offseason this year you could make the argument that they they could be a better duo combo than ldt and creed humphrey or whoever the chiefs have at right guard so i would stay the Chiefs still because i think brown just has such a high ceiling at that left tackle and tooney just being having that one side solidified like that is, is a really big deal but i think it's a really close question what do you think on that matt yeah, I, I think you're right on there. It's You hate to see the Chargers get better, um, and they certainly win the offseason every single year, according to a lot of pundits and fans. So it always rubs me the wrong way to hear too much positive talk about the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. So, But they, they did add some pieces. 
Um, I do like the way the Chiefs stack up. I think they're, I think they might be deeper, the Chiefs offensive line. And if you know anything about the Chargers, you know that they're going to go through some catastrophic injuries. So I, I'm going to lean the Chiefs way. I think there's more front end talent and more depth for the future. But let's just piggyback off of that with this question from, from Jake Wilson at Jake for now. Shout out to Jake. He's always sending in good questions. This one is a multi, multi-part question. So, Ron, let's just break this thing apart and answer some of these as we go along. Um, first, I'll, I'll let you answer the second part, which is, does the emphasis on the interior offensive line suggest a shift in the strategy on field for the Chiefs offense? Yeah, we've talked about it this offseason, right? We, we've kind of said how it seems like the Chiefs have wanted to get a little beefier in their on their offensive line. I know he said interior offensive line, but I think just in general, the entire offensive line, when you talk about a Lucas Niang, who's a very big dude compared to Mike Remmers, Orlando Brown Jr. is a very big dude compared to Eric Fisher. Compared to anybody. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah exactly. But Fisher's just, he was always that, he was a really good player, I, I think. He was just always kind of more of a, he didn't really move people. You know, he wasn't taking someone and just take him out of the play. He was more just a, a solid, solid player. Brown's the kind of guy that can pick you up and, and get you out of the stadium on some Michael Orr stuff from the blind side. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Chiefs are getting a little beefier in their offensive line. I think Creed Humphrey's a little beefier of a guy. I keep using this word beefy. I don't know if that's a good <laughs> word. <laughs> but uh, they're, they're thicker, you know. And, and Creed Humphrey, I think, exemplifies that as well over, like, an Austin Ryder type who was a little more finesse, too. Um, LDT, I think, is, is a bigger dude, too, than, like, a Andrew Wiley we seen last year. And Kyle Long was going to be a bigger dude. So, all that to say, I do think we're going to see a little – a shift from – zone run schemes where you can get away with smaller linemen because they're just getting in front of dudes. They're not necessarily moving dudes out of the way. You just, you're getting in front of guys and letting the running back dictate where the hole is in a power run scheme, a more gap scheme. Like we might see this year with a bigger line, you're, you're down blocking, you're getting guys out of the way. You're pulling a guy up the, the up the hole and, and taking a linebacker out of the hole. It's, it's those kind of things that I think we'll see a lot more of this year with the bigger line. And that's the on-field philosophy I see with the change in offensive line. So do you think that that, and this is another part of Jake's question, do you think that that points to specific types of plays that you'll see more of? When he said this question, the first thing I thought of was more of the screen game that Andy Reid is so good at that maybe was lacking a little bit last year, maybe because the horse is up front. Yeah, you're right. I'm glad you mentioned the screen game because it was statistically, they didn't run screens as much as in years past. There's been years past where both two running backs have gotten over eight or ten targets in the screen game. And actually last year, according to PFF, uh, no running back got over six targets. And, and Clyde only got six targets himself. Bell actually had uh, more tar- or the same amount of targets as Clyde in the screen game, which is kind of crazy to me. Um, but to, to also go back to the offensive players point, uh, screen's one of them. But like I just kind of mentioned with the, the gap scheme, you know, traditional power plays, you know, if, if you played youth football, you know, one of the, you know, one of the plays you always ran was, you know, everyone down blocking and then the guards pulling up through the hole, the, the tackle, or I, you know, the tackles blocking, but the guards pulling up through the hole, fullback leading up the hole as well. Someone's got to kick out the defensive end. I feel like we're going to see a lot more of that this year, because like I said, those are more plays where you need someone that's going to take somebody and move them out of the way instead of just get in front of somebody. And so we'll see power counter a lot more of that. Uh, even maybe GT counter. I've seen Orlando Brown pull, so maybe Brown can be a puller as well. 
So we'll see a lot more traditional pulling plays like that more than just straight up zone runs, run games like we've seen in the past. The opportunity to potentially have holes blown wide open as opposed exactly. to just leaving a sliver for somebody to try to sneak through. Yes, exactly. Another part of the question here, does the playbook open because of McKinnon and Gray and Powell, some of the new person, personnel as compared to Watkins and Sherman? Do you think that changes the, the offensive play calling? So with Sherman, I'll say real quick, that's probably a wash because I think Michael Burton should be expected to play a very similar role whenever Sherman was on offense, uh, being able to be that traditional fullback type. But with Sammy Watkins, I think that is interesting because Sammy – was a mismatch for the defense. He's a guy that's quick enough to beat your bigger guys, but also strong enough to where you don't want to just put a corner or a smaller defensive back on him because he's going to out overpower him. So there's not that guy on the team anymore. There really isn't. Uh, everyone's kind of hoping Powell can be that just because he's wearing number 14 and he is a pretty rocked up dude and kind of a similar size, but he is a fifth round rookie and, and it's going to take him a while to get to that point, I'm sure. So without Sammy, I do think we'll we'll have a we won't see as many just where mismatches, where where you have Watkins on a linebacker out there because there's so many other players and, and Watkins is that that uber-talented guy that takes advantage of that mismatch. Outside of Hill and Kelsey, there aren't guys that are just going to clearly take advantage of mismatch like, like Watkins was able to last year. So I'd say that'll just limit, I guess, what the receivers can do lined up. I just you, you can't expect Robinson and Pringle to do the stuff that Watkins was doing last season. And that's probably why people are really concerned about that receiver position. It's not so much that there's a certain style of play, you know, the, the number two, the X, the, the big guy, the jump ball receiver, any of that stuff. It's really a lot of it's going to be about separation and route running. And do you have reliable receivers that you know can get open? And when they get open, they're going to catch the ball. And that's yet to be seen. And I, I think that's a legitimate concern. We have hope for Powell. We have hope for some other guys. We talked about McColl and others maybe stepping up, but that is a different role and a different skill set that may limit the playbook a little bit because you really don't have another another threat in that short to intermediate area that is going to draw enough attention away from those guys who may not just naturally get open one on one. And, you know, just to piggyback off that a little bit, maybe that is what they expect Gray to be able to do, Noah Gray. I mean, maybe he can be the kind of guy that lines up outside in a, in a receiver position. And like I kind of mentioned with Watkins, he's a little too big for, you know, to just throw a corner on him, but he might be a little too quick for a, a traditional linebacker to be put on him as well. So maybe that's somewhere where Gray is implemented. That's, that's, that's interesting. But We'll move on to our next question from Clyde World at Mahomes to CEH on Twitter. Which second-year player will take the biggest leap this season? We'll, we'll exclude Clyde because we've heard Stags talk enough about Clyde this offseason, right, guys? I, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure the Come listeners on. agree with me. The hype train is on is fully going, and, and Stags is the leader of it. But uh, besides Clyde, what what second-year player do you see making the biggest leap? You know, the person who asked the question may also be leading that train, Mahomes to CEH right. world. Yeah, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the obvious answer, so we'll go with someone a little bit less obvious. Somebody we've heard a lot of good things about in the offseason camp, somebody who should be hitting their stride in their second year. Willie Gay Jr. is going to have every opportunity to be the man on this linebacking group this year. 
And if he's able to, to grasp the defense, there's no reason why he shouldn't have a massive leap in production this year. I actually didn't think he looked bad on the field last year, even though he was still figuring some things out. If you go back and watch, he can get to where he needs to be in a hurry. And that speed and that athleticism can cover up a little bit of the diagnosing and the, the play speed, the, the uh, in-game intelligence, if you will. If he's developing the mental side of his game this year, like it sure sounds like he is, the sky is really the limit for him. And I, I'm excited to see what full-time Will linebacker Willie Gay looks like. And I know you've talked about potential dime linebacker as well in Willie Gay's future. If he does one or both of those roles at a high level this season, it's going to be a big leap for him and a big step forward for the defense. Yes, I'm with you on that. And, and the biggest leap part of this, it, it makes this question a little tricky because my answer for this was LeJarrius Sneed. You know, he, he was really good last year. So taking a big leap this season would mean Pro Bowl or, you know, potentially even it's hard to see him be, get in an all pro. There's a lot of good uh, defensive backs in the NFL right now. But I, I'll also say Sneed because I do think he's going to go from just a, a really exciting piece of the defense to maybe one of the most important parts of the defense. That slot defender is really important in today's NFL. The slot is where the offenses like to attack a lot because defenders are put in a pretty precarious position being uh, in the slot when you have a two-way go. You know, you're not, you don't have the sideline next to you to kind of help you defend. I want Snead in the slot. I know they could put Fenton in the slot and keep Snead on the outside, and I get that. Snead should be playing outside in two cornerback sets. But I think Snead's athleticism, his playmaking ability, needs to be closer to the box, needs to be in the slot. And so if he is in the slot all year and is and is as productive as he was last year, I mean, shoot, he had four sacks in the five, you know, five, four of the five last games of the season. If he can do that kind of playmaking ability again and just improve overall as a player in general, I mean, that was his rookie year and a shortened offseason. I mean, that is pretty, pretty ridiculous to pick up on such a hard position like that. If he can really pick it up even more this season, we could see a guy that's all of a sudden one of the best players. We're considering one of the best players on the team. He might lead the team in turnovers forced, in, in interceptions. He might be second or third on the team in sacks. Like The sky's the limit for this guy, given the sample size we've seen and with any theoretical improvement with a full offseason under his belt. It's, it's really exciting to see what's going to happen with him. It, it's a little bit of a cop out of an answer there, Ron. Pun intended. Uh, I, I think hey, that. I like it. <laughs> I think the fact that he's already such a good player, you know, makes him a pretty obvious candidate to to take one more step in the right direction. But if it happens, or even if he plays at the same level he did last year, he's already the top a top three or four defender on this defense, and and that is incredible given his draft position. I'm going to go ahead with an answer from Terry Dunlap. Terry, thank you for submitting this question. I know you've actually submitted it two weeks in a row for us now. We're finally going to get to it. Will Patrick Mahomes catch a receiving touchdown this year? And he added a Terry added a bonus question. Who's going to throw that pass? Is it going to be Kelsey, McKinnon, Chris Jones? Who's throwing Patrick Mahomes a touchdown pass this year? Yeah, he included McKinnon, which – I think we both were head scratching a little bit when we saw that, uh, but then it, it clicked with us that he did play quarterback in college. So he was a quarterback at Georgia Southern, I believe. I hope I didn't get that wrong. 
So McKinnon is in that in that question, but you know it's got to be Kelsey. They tried last year in Tampa Bay, uh, Week Twelve. They tried to to get Kelsey. It was the first possession, I want to say. Uh, reverse around. Mahomes standing wide open in the end zone. I think Kelsey just waited a little too long. Tried to get the defender to come to him and then throw it over him. Got knocked down. You could tell they were both really mad about that. I think Kelsey's going to be in Andy's ear this year, uh, trying to get another chance at that. He wants that pass touchdown. Mahomes is a competitive guy. There's no way he's going to let his receiving career end with uh, that pass plus the Watkins pass and really no success as a receiver. He's going to find a way to catch a touchdown or two or more. And he's got a ton of ex-quarterbacks on the roster that could throw him the pass. Kelsey's an ex-quarterback. Blake Bell, the belldozer, is another one. McKinnon, as you mentioned. You know, Chris Jones is a self-purported quarterback as well. You know, he's going to be arguing to have that role. Uh, we do think he's got a good shot at being the defensive lineman that gets in on offense. You know, maybe somebody that I hope – maybe doesn't throw a pass to Patrick Mahomes again, based on what we've seen is maybe Tyreek Hill. Um, <laughs> you know, love Tyreek Hill, but uh, much rather see him on the receiving end of those touchdowns than attempting to throw another one. They've, there's been some, some comically bad attempts from Kelsey and Hill and, and others in the past, but you know, they're not giving up. It's going to happen again. Hey, it's it's been a few years now since they gave Hill that chance. That was 2017 when Alex was still the quarterback. So, hey, come on. He, he gets another shot eventually, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Well, the next question from Shade Piper at Shade underscore Piper on Twitter. And this is a Frank Clark question and one that we haven't, again, tried to dive in too deep on the Frank Clark arrest and off-field issues because there's a lot to be determined there. We're not going to get a lot of information from the team on this. So we're not, we don't want to go too deep into the arrest and what's happening with that. But his question's interesting because it's more about why haven't the Chiefs gone out and invested in a veteran defensive end? Does that mean that the Chiefs are less worried about Frank than the Twitter GMs, all of us included? Yeah, it certainly points to that, right? Because we've all talked about it all offseason. Defensive end is, is clearly one of the thinnest positions on the team especially if you're removing Frank Clark from the equation. I know that's not what we're doing here, but if you just take away, you know, maybe Frank suspended for a few games, that defensive end position is very, very inexperienced and very, very thin. You'd, you'd want, you'd think you'd want a veteran in there in some capacity. That's why Melvin Ingram still out there. You'd think he has a, he has a shot at, at, at being brought in. Maybe, um, you know, the chiefs are familiar with him. They definitely know about him. They've been playing him the past, however many years I will say, it wouldn't be surprising if they bring someone in before training camp, but it could also be something that they wait to see what veterans get cut at the end of at the end of the preseason. You know that always happens, and especially this year, which is pretty crazy. I, I always forget about this. Uh, I keep forgetting about this. Week preseason week three is the last preseason game, and then there's actually a pretty a, about a two week gap. Not about not quite two weeks, but about a two week gap between that game and the first regular season game. So if there are veteran cuts like that after training camp. That's a good time to get them in, get them acclimated. You get two weeks with them, basically, to, to get them rolling into the defense. And so, actually, I think maybe they're maybe that's where they're going with it. Maybe they get their young guys, these inexperienced guys, all the reps in training camp, and then get bring a veteran in that maybe got cut or some some capacity, bring him in after training camp, and, and then just have him as a, a rotational player for the season. I like that idea because if you look at the Chiefs roster at defensive end, there's a lot of 
hope, right? There's some players who have shown glimpses here and there that I think the Chiefs believe are going to be part of a good rotation. I've heard the expression defensive end by committee, and I think in a lot of ways that's what they've got is you've got Mike Dana, who's really showed out on early downs and and as a run defender. You've got Tim Ward, who in in a limited capacity has shown a little bit of juice. And when it comes to pass rush, you've got Taco Charlton, who again has shown as a pass rusher in a limited sample size last season. Pull all those guys together and you've got a pretty good defensive end. Obviously, you can't do that, but you can rotate them around, see how they play out in training camp with Chris Jones. And again, assuming all is either well with Frank Clark or any suspension he has is is pushed back, you know, uh, into the regular season at some point, then you could see them going through camp with a decent rotation and seeing what they have in the young guys. And if they don't pan out, if it's not looking like they're going to be able to be ready for prime time, then you go out and pull somebody off the street. I don't think it would take long to get a Melvin Ingram up to speed on this defense if they needed him. So, yeah, let, let's wait and see what happens there. Yeah, exactly. With the with the Melvin Ingram point, you know, the, these veterans aren't going to need a whole training camp, especially if they're a guy like Melvin Ingram who's been around the block. You know, he's he's played. He's been one of the, an elite pass rusher in this league before. He knows how to how to do it. He'll just have to learn, you know, the schemes and stuff. But yeah, so we'll we'll move on to Rocky Magana, I believe. I like that name. That's a that's a cool name. Uh, um, he asked, "Who has more receiving yards this year, Noah Gray or Byron Pringle?" And I'll couple this with another question from Twitter at ACDeason, Alex on Twitter. How has Pringle been doing in camp this year? And do you see him becoming the number three wideout? So it's kind of a Pringle themed question, but we're gonna we're gonna pair Gray within this too. How do how do you see those two comparing statistically by the end of the season? Well, we talked a little bit about this last week in our prove me wrong segment that Noah Gray, even if he breaks out as a first-year tight end, even if he is the second most productive tight end on this roster, that probably doesn't mean much more than 200 yards in receiving this season. Byron Pringle's averaged something like 160 yards. We talked about that before. So I don't have huge expectations for either guy. I think they're both complementary players. I think both will get a chance here and there this season. Neither is going to be featured on offense. So I call it a toss-up. You know, maybe they get 200 yards apiece and show enough, you know, to to be part of the offense next year. I'd give a slight edge maybe to Noah Gray just because with Byron Pringle, there are some other candidates for those receiving targets. With Noah Gray, he may be able to carve out some sort of a hybrid role, something – unusual outside of what you you get from Travis Kelsey in order to 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 get him on the field and get him involved in the passing game they're not going to go out of their way to make a role for Brian Byron Pringle um you know he'll either get snaps or he won't but he's going to be competing with McCole Hardman for plays for with with uh, Demarcus Robinson with Cornell Powell there's a lot of names at receiver that are all sort of jumbled in that same mix but there's there's nobody quite like Noah Gray outside of Travis Kelsey. And so maybe they go out of their way to get him up to 200 yards and, and the lead for this particular question. Yeah, it is a toss-up for me too. But I would go on the opposite side. I would lean slightly towards Pringle. And I do think you made really good points because you're right. 
the tight end two room, and we've talked about this before. I talked about it last week. He's not – him and Blake Bell aren't, like, competing for snaps necessarily, I don't think. I think Bell will be a traditional tight end two in certain sets. And then, like you just mentioned with the hybrid role, I think Gray's going to take advantage of that role for sure. But Pringle's got a lot of competition at receiver. I just say – I just think this this offense is going to be so voluminous, and, and we'll see a lot uh, from this offense this year. And Pringle is kind of moving – a step up the depth chart a little bit when you consider that Watkins is off the team. And if Powell, if he beats out Powell, then, you know, he, he go, becomes the fourth receiver rather than the fifth that he's been in the past few years. So I'll give the edge to Pringle just slightly. I think he, he gets a few more opportunities in gray this year. All right. We're almost out of time. So let's just do one more question here, Ron, from Cali Dat dude at Cali Lakers, 1970 on Twitter. And I'm going to, extrapolate here and say that the question means would you be surprised if all of the following players get cut prior to the 53-man roster Ben Neiman Nick Kaiser Armani Watts Dorian O'Daniel and Darwin Thompson would you be surprised if all five of those players are not on the initial 53-man roster I mean, I'd be surprised if they were all not on the team. I mean, that's a lot of guys that are kind of – they have their own little roles in the team and, you know, maybe a few of them here or there. Um, right now I have Neiman, Watson, O'Daniel on the active roster with Thompson being a practice squad hopeful, although I don't know if they'll make it through waivers and Kaiser not making it. But I want to take this time to officially – we're going to do a little bubble watch here. I want to take this time to officially put Ben Neiman on the bubble. We talked about it last week oh. if, guys, if you guys joined us. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind if Neiman wasn't on the team week one. I just think he's blocking the younger linebackers from kind of just getting the on-field experience they really need to get acclimated and become good players in this league. I don't care if Neiman knows the defense a little more than they do right now or however they justify him playing right now because there's not a good justification for it in my opinion. I just think might as well take your lumps with Gay and Bolton right now. Let them Let them, you know, go through the process. You know, have their negatives, have their good plays, have their bad plays, but at least they're getting the experience. And I think if Neiman's off the team, it's a lot easier to just throw him out there. So I, I want to say Neiman's on the bubble. He's officially on the bubble. Bubble Watch 2021 continues. And I'm going to go ahead and add officially, although it, it may seem obvious at this point, putting Nick Kaiser on that bubble, which really means now that all five of these players are officially on the bubble, according to this podcast. And so, yes, all of them could be on the outside looking in, depending on the, how the roles evolve. I think at tight end, Blake Bell is the obvious number two. Noah Gray is your obvious hybrid. Kelsey backup and whatever else doesn't leave a lot of room for Nick Kaiser unless they were to carry an extra tight end, which wouldn't make a lot of sense with the fullback position also being dedicated on this roster. He's going to get numbered out. I think it's going to be tough to see a spot for him this season and so with all five of these guys on the bubble you know there's a chance but i would say that ben neiman's going to be on the roster i also think darwin thompson's going to make it personally and dorian o'daniel uh, so i would say in my mind only maybe two of the five are going to be off and three will be on it could go a lot of different ways though and you're right there's some young talent to develop at linebacker so maybe Maybe Ben Neiman's going to be on his way out finally. Maybe Dorian O'Daniel as well. It'd be hard for me to imagine both of those guys being gone. It would leave a hole at the dime linebacker and the special teams position. 
and both of those guys are cheap enough they can be depth. So I'd be very, very surprised to wrap it up that all five of those guys are gone. You know, give me two of those being cuts and, and three of them making the roster. Yeah, the special team point is a good one for sure. I think that's really important at, the, at these – for these guys, all of these guys, they're all supposed to be big special teams players at, at their roles. So that Uncle is going to do it. His guys, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to happen, right? There's, it's really hard to imagine a scenario where they don't prioritize special teams anymore, and that group is a big part of it. Shout out Dave Tobe. He 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 definitely uh, holds holds a little a little more weight than we all want him to a little bit in that in that roster maker group. With that, let's go ahead and wrap up, Ron. This has been fun. I appreciate all the superlatives and the good Twitter questions. As always, bring them again next week. Get creative. It doesn't have to be Chiefs or football related. We'll talk about food. We'll talk about Kansas City barbecue or anything else that you have on your mind. Get those questions out there. Definitely rate and review. Check out all the rest of the Arrowhead Pride podcast. We appreciate you spending a little part of your day with us. Thanks again. For Matt Sagner, Ron Kopp, the Out of Structure Podcast, we'll talk to you next week.